0: Support for Think Humanities is brought to you by the Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing.
1: Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Here's your host, Bill
0: Goodman. Is there anyone living in Kentucky today or has lived in the state in the last 50 years, who doesn't know Sylvia Lovely, or at least has heard her name? Well, there are not many. Sylvia has been in Kentucky, all over the state of Kentucky for years, and Kentucky Humanities is very proud to say she is now a member of our Speakers Bureau. And just a quick word about our Speakers Bureau. It's available uh, now. It's on our website. Uh, Experts uh, from all fields, scholars, historians, writers, Storytellers, uh, humor, uh, we have a full list, all listed at kyhumanities.org, under our programs, under Speakers Bureau, and uh, the description that we use on the website, from unique Kentucky cuisine, bourbon, and music to politics, Kentucky culture, and African American history, our Speakers Bureau features a fantastic group of the Commonwealth's finest scholars, historians, writers, and poets. So all the details are there. Please take advantage of bringing these people uh, into your church, your community group, your organization. Uh, And right now during COVID uh, via Zoom, uh, that's what we want you to do. And one of those, uh, once again, is Sylvia Lovely. And Sylvia, thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I, I feel like I'm in the presence of an interview expert. <laughs> oh, well,
0: not that. I don't know who that would be. There are only two of us here on this uh, on, the, on the line <laughs> right now. That would be you.
1: I, I know, because we've been together before.
0: <laughs> well, give us a, a, a background bio uh, about you and uh, your Kentucky roots and uh, coming back here and, and what you did for so long where I got to know you. So just uh, talk about yourself.
1: All right, sure, uh born in Kentucky in Frenchburg, Kentucky, and my parents were a typical profile in that they were poor uh poorly educated, i think eighth grade for both of them, and they were trying to farm in Kentucky as so many did in Owingsville, where i sixty four goes through right now and when I was about three months old, uh, I think they threw in the towel and headed for that great place in at the at the end of the highway called Dayton, Ohio. And my father went to work on the line at National Cash Register. So I was raised in Ohio, actually, but a lot of little Kentuckys were up there because that's where everybody gravitated to who couldn't find opportunity here. But I came back and I remember very well, my mother, not want, she, she was delighted I wanted to go to college, but she said I had to go to Wright State, which was just up the road in Dayton, Ohio. And I said, no, I have to go away. And then she began to wail and cry and said uh, and I finally it was like an EF Hutton moment where the world stopped and I was about to give in. And she finally said, Okay, you can go away, but you can only go to Moorhead because to them that was home. So I went to Moorhead, went on to law school, didn't know what lawyers did, but it sounded kind of cool. So I went to law school. And when I graduated, I only practiced law for a little bit because I went to work for a fantastic organization called the Kentucky League of Cities. So I worked as CEO for that organization for probably over 30 years. It's been a while back now. I retired about 10 years ago. That's an amazing amount of time. But I formed my own consulting business. And I've been doing a lot of work. Um, One of my Jobs right now, and I love it as uh, Kentucky Access to Justice Commission. I do listening sessions. I interview people. And we've got a number of things, particularly now in an era of social unrest, where we're trying to help people find answers to their civil legal needs. And but what I've started doing that I absolutely love, and in a very related way, are teaching is teaching stories to people, and that is kind of something that i found great joy in. I've written some books. But what I'm really into right now is helping other people find their voices and not only write their stories, but to share those stories with other people.
0: Well, let's jump right into that. That's a good place to uh, to talk about. Uh, the two uh, presentations that you are doing uh, as a member of the Speakers Bureau, one is entitled Storytelling and Reading, Think Small and Make a Difference in Your Life and Others, Notes from a Story Collector, and the second one is more than a book club, wisdom wrapped up in a story. We'll, we'll sort of uh, talk about uh, both of those. But I also want you to uh, talk a little bit more about uh, Grassy Creek Press. And your website is just very simple. It's uh, Is it sylvialovely.org? .com, or, uh, yes. yes. Dot .com, dot mm-hmm. .com. Is Sylvia and Lovely written together?
1: That's right. Yeah, that's right.
0: So a lot of this is on your website. But uh, for those again, who uh, have not been to the website, tell us about uh, Grassy Creek Press, and how that kind of leads into your talks that you do for Kentucky Humanities.
1: Well, when I began, I've written three books, as I said, and my last one was a memoir. And um, I wrote that book. And At the same time, I was trying to decide, do you go self-publishing or do you go to a... a, So I went self-publishing and I formed my own publishing company with the idea that still is a very real idea of helping other people write their books and they can publish under the Grassy Creek Press. And by the way, my website's under construction because one of the things that I'm trying to do is shift more of my emphasis right now on helping other people. And I call that connecting our voices. And I'm promoting that. I'm going to be promoting that through Facebook and various other ways. But I have to tell you a bit of my history that brought me to stories. Um, As you know, I worked with some of the greatest people in the Commonwealth. That was local officials and local leaders. And the mayor of Berksville, Kentucky, was a retired general. And he came home to care for his mother, who was ailing. And after she passed away, he had already built the biggest house in Burksville that overlooked the Cumberland River. And so he couldn't sell it. So he stayed in Burksville and he became the mayor. And one day he was talking to me and he said, Sylvia, you meet some of the most phenomenal people in the world. Why don't you start writing their stories? And I said, I don't have time to write their stories. I'm busy working. I have children. At that time, they were early teenagers. And he said, no. He said, take, and this is old school, Bill index cards and write out their stories just in outline form. And then later on, you can come back and you can write them up. And I have stacks and stacks of index cards where I had written all those down. So I'm then a story collector, which is my reference in the the seminar and the presentation that I do. I love collecting the stories and my head is just crammed full of them. So when I do presentations, I always use my stories. And then with the Grassy Creek Press, I hope to return to my own writing someday and do more of that. And maybe, you know, how time changes your perspective on things, even rewriting a couple of my books, because I haven't done a whole lot of marketing of those, even though I love to market, uh, because I'm really very much into right now promoting other people and helping them. Maybe it's my age. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> what all that means,
0: let me take just a a quick side trip if you will, uh, Sylvia, um and let you talk uh, a bit about uh the catastrophe that occurred uh on this very date that we're taping this, and that was the 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 crash of the uh airliner mm-hmm. uh in in lexington, and um you do write about that some and and how that affected uh you and your family and and the ties that you had. And it's just uh, uh, irony, I I would imagine. I had no idea when we lined up this podcast to talk to you um, uh, about so many other things, but it it turns out to be an anniversary date of, of, uh, is it 25 years? Is that?
1: Gosh, is it 15 or 25? I've lost track.
0: That was something that people uh, may uh, have lived through or remember. Uh, All of Kentucky was uh, aware of it and and, and many other places too. So tell us a little bit about how, um, what, what happened and, and how that, uh, how you've written about that and how that might've uh, impacted your life.
1: It did impact my life. My husband was the chairman of the airport board and we all remember going through that. It was, a it was in, um, well, uh, the crash occurred in 2006. If I, if my math, I'm, I'm not good at math off the top of my head, but, um, what I, when I wrote it with it occurred, I remember him going through, I remember walking down my subdivision street on that Sunday morning and smelling something in the air, some acrid smell. And it turns out it was jet fuel because we live within a mile of the airport and uh, it changed everything. And I remember coming home and Bernie got the call to immediately go and I think, and I've written about it in my memoir because it really figured into our life story. And 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 Bill, some of the, sometimes life stories um, bring you to things that are not always the most pleasant experiences that you have. And I think a lot of things that happened to me in the following year or two of that really cascaded off of that event. And I I really kind of believe in connections in the cosmos. I can't explain them, but. I do. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and seeing Bernie out on our porch, smoking, which he shouldn't have been doing. But I would ask him, I would say, what's wrong? And he would say, I can't get that image out of my mind, because he was one of the first people that arrived on the scene that day, along with Mike Gobb, who um, unfortunately is no longer with us. And um, I know that that haunted him as well. So all of that happened. And it really just took our lives by storm. And um, when I wrote in my memoir about all of that and some of the things that subsequently happened to me, I, uh, I began with that. And I dedicated the book to Mike um, who is a controversial figure in this town, but you know, he, it, it was a story of redemption, which I absolutely love. And there's a great Kentucky redemption story in Ed Pritchard. And I remember All of that gave me a lot of comfort uh, after all of that happened, the airport disaster and such, by reading that book, uh, the story of Ed Pritchard. And there's a Kentucky story that everybody should read. I mean, what a magnificent story it was. He made a much bigger difference by the disaster. He was vote buying that he was involved in. Uh, Out of that disaster, he was able to um, be probably more than he would have been as governor or senator. He became the father of the Pritchard Committee on Education, and that changed our way of life in Kentucky. So I love those stories. I love stories of people who live through harrowing times and recover because they're some of the most informative stories. And I've got to say, those stories bring you joy, not necessarily happiness. There's a difference. Joy is about a certain peace in your heart that you understood your story and you understood that it took you to a different place than you would have planned. And I believe in that. And I believe that can bring you joy. That's one of the reasons I've come to stories with a purpose.
0: So uh, about those stories with a purpose and the writing that uh, that you've done and how this led you to the, uh, the two presentations that you do for us, let's just talk about them uh, each. Um, think Small to Make a Difference in Your Life and Others, Notes from a Story Collector. Uh, those are the little note cards you're talking about, but you can expand on that. And, and uh, uh, for that matter, tell us a story or two. Uh, if you can recall uh, in your presentations or uh, from those note cards, uh, there has to be a, oh, yeah. a good old uh, Kentucky rural story uh, of some sort that you can...
1: I've got a couple of really great ones, and I'll change the names to protect the innocent thing here so uh, it was the it was a paducah story and i was on the phone with a uh, one of the city commissioners and he was a dear dear man and he was all upset this is probably 20 years ago when the big box stores started coming around the little towns and remember the huge controversy We don't hear much about it anymore because i guess the big box stores have become a part of our lives right but they were putting the little downtowns out of business and I remember he was going on about that, and he was so upset. And then he said, But you know, he said, We had a robbery here in town. We had, and, and the police had to go to the parking lot of the big box store. And he said, he paused for a moment, and they, he arrest, they arrested the fella out in the parking lot of this big box store. And he said, um, You know, Sil, he said, Everybody ends up there, even thieves. And I love that story. (laughs) It was like perfectly captured that. And in a more uh, kind of a different kind of story, I remember the mayor, Mayor Collins of Moorhead and what a dear man he was. And uh, he grew up in very substandard housing because I'd always wondered, he was just obsessed with housing in Moorhead and making sure there was adequate housing for people that couldn't afford, you know, market rate housing. And I remember he... uh, he, uh, he he de- he really dedicated his life to housing, and I you know that was just a beautiful little story. Of course, I think are you from around Glasgow? I There's am. Yeah, some great stories from Mayor Honeycutt too. You know, and he mm-hmm. uh, he was he was quite something as a band director. And I remembered his beautiful story of he was an internationally renowned out of Glasgow um, band director. And when he retired, he became the mayor. But he would tell me stories of taking his band uh, around to various places in the southeast and being refused service at restaurants because he had black members of his band. And he said, I just marched my band right out of those places if they wouldn't know my yeah. students. I mean, I that was beautiful, yeah. you know.
0: He didn't happen to he didn't happen to mention the trumpet lessons that he gave me did he oh, no, uh, did he I
1: didn't have... know about that
0: <laughs> <laughs> No he wouldn't have done that but uh, yeah he was he was a uh, a private instructor for me when I was just a just a kid So your your work uh, again with uh the the League of Cities why don't you tell uh, people about what that organization is today and was when, um, how long it's been around. And that's the way you got to travel and got so well known all over the Commonwealth.
1: Yeah. Let me tell you about that organization. Cause it's a great one. Uh, a great organization. And um, it has been around. It was the Kentucky municipal league when it first started out in like the twenties. And there are these leagues everywhere, all over the country. And I think everybody has one but Hawaii. And I always uh, said I would go to Hawaii in February if they wanted me to form one. So anyway, but I never got asked. But um, it started out very, very small. And I remember when my boss, then boss, I was a lobbyist for the organization and was having a great time. And he came in and shut the door and he said, I'm leaving and I think you should apply for this job. And I said, no, I have two small children at that time. They were like six and eight or something like that. And I said, I'm plenty busy and I don't need to do that. And He said, no, he said, it's going to plateau. You don't have to worry about it getting a whole lot busier and all that. Well, the rest is history because it grew and it grew. And by the time I left, it had like 80 employees and it was um, phenomenally successful. We sold insurance to cities, uh, did bond programs, did training sessions, had a newsletter. City magazine was great. I I thoroughly enjoyed it, thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, and left there in 2010, I guess. Well, 2009, I guess. And uh, it's in great hands today. And so I'm thankful for that. J.D. Cheney does a fabulous job at heading it up. And I was with you several times in my role there, uh, talking about various policies and, and some of the characters, some of the stories that came out of those encounters too, you know, with, uh, with uh, budgets and, and, and being kind of caught between rock and hard place and all of those kinds of things that came with an organization that was strong in advocacy, which it was and is. And so... A thoroughly wonderful job. Three hundred and eighty member cities, many of those tiny little places, which is why I got to know some of these fabulous people that were just, you know, from Monkey's Eyebrow at Beauty and Lovely Kentucky and everything in between, and uh, loved Paducah and discover the communities of Kentucky. That's what I love about what you're doing. You know, we think in terms of Lexington, Louisville, and maybe Owensboro occasionally, and maybe Paducah occasionally, but. I always tell my friends, I said, go to Paducah. <laughs> I mean, it's a fantastic place. Uh, it, it has everything. I mean, it's at this confluence of the rivers, and I'm in the restaurant business part of the time. So, uh, you know, some fabulous restaurants. I mean, I was there not too long ago working on my Kentucky Access to Justice work. And um, we just don't know what we're missing out on. And so that's why I love promoting you.
0: Uh, and you're- well, you're um, you were taking words right out of my mouth as a, a follow-up conversation about trying to promote to uh, people all over the state. Uh, the uh, there's a for some reason a reluctance for people to to travel Kentucky when they think about going on vacation. They might go to Myrtle Beach rather than going to Kentucky Lake, or they might think about going uh, somewhere else besides. Uh, the Breaks uh, Interstate Park. Uh, I remember very um, distinctly, don't ask me why, but you, uh, the League of Cities, uh, was doing a program in Owensboro, and I had been there several times, of course, uh, with Kentucky Educational Television, but we were doing a, a forum there, and uh, it was uh, incredible, uh, the the energy, uh, the the beauty, uh, the river, the the development, uh, meeting people there. I've since um, become more familiar with with Owensboro. They're big supporters of of Kentucky Humanities. But if people haven't taken the time to drive from Louisville, Lexington, uh, to go to Owensboro, Paducah, or the other way uh, to to explore Appalachia in eastern Kentucky, where you're from, and and to visit Pikeville, can you, you can hardly describe to someone. Uh, how uh, beautiful Pikeville, Kentucky is, uh, the, the, the university there, the optometry school. I mean, it's, it's hard. And now the downtown, a brewery and, and restaurants. Um, so people do need to get out. And I think that's part of Kentucky's story that you probably talk about.
1: Some of my favorite stories about Owensboro, I spent a lot of time there. And I remember, I don't know if you remember Mayor Charlie Beach. He's no longer mayor of Batyville, but he's president yeah, of the league. Yeah. And I'll never forget, we were taking a trip to Owensboro. We were getting in the car. And, and that is one of the beauties of my work. He, was a con, he did investing all over the world, and he did these amazing things. So he gets in my trunk, I'm driving, and he gets out his stack of magazines. And I look over, and he's looking at a... Rock and Dirt magazine, because he was getting ready to buy a crane. I'm like, I love this country, you know? So we go to Owensboro, and I was a real nut about making sure I got home at night. It didn't matter if I had to leave at 1 o'clock in the morning. So we had a presentation to do, and we got in the car. Probably David Atkinson was mayor at the time, who's who's legendary with his work with the chamber and various other things. He was a great mayor, and he built so many wonderful things, the River Parks Center and all this stuff. But we get in the car at like 1 a.m. And Charlie's driving, and we're on the expanse of the Western Kentucky Parkway, and I'm kind of dozing, and I and I kind of wake up, and he's got the windows of all four windows of the car going up and down, up and down. I said, Charlie, what is wrong? What are you doing? He said, well, I'm about to fall asleep. <laughs> and he was keeping us awake, but I wasn't doing a very good job of it. But I'm like, wow, maybe we should rethink this. <laughs>
0: Well, we're going to take a, a short a pause here, and then when we come back, so I want you to talk about uh, book clubs and reading and fiction and uh, all of that. Uh, we'll uh, hear a word from Spaulding University. The Spalding University School of Creative and Professional Writing offers students intellectual rigor, emotional support, affordability, flexibility, and community at the world's first certified compassionate university. From certificate to terminal degree, the programs at Spaulding School of Writing foster lifelong writing habits and help you forge a lasting writing community. Learn more at spaulding.edu slash school of writing or email school of writing at spaulding.edu. Okay, Sylvia. So uh, the second talk uh, is uh, titled More Than a Book Club, Wisdom Wrapped Up in a Story. Um, And I agree with you, uh, your first uh, sentence there, uh, despite the naysayers, book clubs are booming. You know, publishing since March during COVID-19 is uh, really doing well, that certain genres, certain books, uh, 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 groups of books are doing better than others, but my goodness gracious, uh, nonfiction, romance, uh are 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 selling well, and a lot of book clubs are flourishing and you talk about that don't you
1: yeah I love it and oh here's something really exciting bill. not only are they flourishing among people that I see you know meeting at my the place that i co own the restaurant they come in the evening and they will form their little book club there, but you know they're always asking me what do you think we should read next, or something like that, but you know what it's uh it's it's flourishing. And I'm so excited about this particular presentation, because as I began this, what's happening is corporate America is waking up to this and doing internal workplace book clubs. Is that awesome? And like, for instance, you know, you can take a book. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, there's plenty of Kentucky books, but you can also take something. My last one I read was A Man Called Ove. I don't know if you've read that one or not. But it's I, know, I know of
0: the book. I have not read it. Yeah.
1: It's about this kind of curmudgeon guy who finds a community to be part of eventually. And it's you know all of the fill in the black kinds of stuff. But you think about that with team playing, uh, team, team formation, how important it is, just learning the lessons of life. In what our fiction teaches us, you know, the heart of darkness, Joseph Conrad, and some of the most beautiful writing around is African American literature. And I'm near, and that's near and dear to my heart because my husband, who went to law school when he couldn't get a job, and was in, it, in the era when you couldn't get a job teaching English in the college level, is a specialist in African American literature. So I know about this. And one of the most beautiful pieces of writing is their eyes, their eyes were watching God. It's about Okeechobee in the life around that. And it's written in dialect. It's just a beautiful work of art and literature. And so there are all these opportunities. And I say fiction in here. It doesn't have to just be fiction, nonfiction. You know, like I love the Ed Pritchard book and uh, that's exciting. And then the other thing I love is the serendipity sometimes of discovering works Had a young couple move in next door to us with two small children. And I knew he had a very thick accent and I couldn't figure out he's a gastroenterologist at UK. And one day his mother was there and she was watching the kids or something and she came running out, again, a very thick accent, hands me her book and says she wants me to read it. And I look at it and the title's called Nana's Shoes. And I'm like, wonder what this is about. Well, I opened it up, and on the cover of the book, it says a story of family's faith, hope, and courage in a time of ethnic cleansing. They were from Bosnia. They had immigrated here from Bosnia and had escaped. And the first line of that is harrowing. It's about fleeing to the cornfield when the marauders were coming into town. And, and Nana was the 90-year-old great-grandmother who was, they had to leave behind. Uh, the neighbor said, you have to leave her because you can't get your family out and keep them safe. And all night long, they wondered if she would be safe because their little shoes would be tied around her neck. And they came home and she was okay. But I mean, to live with that, we need to know about those things. We need to know that the world of people that look and talk and think just like us live in different kinds of ways. And so literature and nonfiction and fiction, in these book clubs i think are very robust and then the idea of awakening corporate america to the idea you know we we kind of gave up childhood books like the little engine that could and all those kinds of things we gave that up in favor of pie charts and bullet points and powerpoints and blah 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 but return return to the to the stories the stories can inform you because they capture you it's the oldest form of communication and they capture your imagination. You capture your thinking. And I just, you know, that's just, I would love that. I love that presentation too. I love both of them.
0: You also, uh, you, you teach writing uh, at the Carnegie and other places. You, you uh, instruct people on telling their own story are, are uh, sometimes the people who aren't used to writing or haven't written before. Are they reluctant to, to oh, reveal yeah. part of themselves?
1: They say, I don't have a story. Yes, you do. And so the first thing I do in my classes is I form the community. Everybody tells, you know, what they're there for, what their goals are. And I find out that in the class, I had 14 people in my last class, which is kind of a management issue, but we did it. And, uh, and you go around, and everybody says, well, here's my goal. And I found out I had poets and writers, people who are published in there, as well as just beginners. It worked beautifully because they all came together and they helped each other because you form a community. And then in the second class, what I ask them—it's a three-part class—could do more, but I don't want to stretch their. Uh, I, although nobody wanted it to end either, but you 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 bring them together in the community, and then I assign them. The first assignment is find every single day, look for something really ordinary in your life, and and I use the example of cardinals. I walk my dog, and I started seeing cardinals. A lot of them it seemed like. And so I, somebody said, well, you know what that means? Cardinals are a sign that, that someone has come back who has passed on. So it could be a grandfather. You know, it's a, it's kind of a flight of, you know, who knows, but I remember a thing and I've researched it and true, that's true. It's a, it's that Cardinals come back as a loved one that's passed on. And now I see my Cardinals everywhere. But why, you know, I want to explore why that meant so much to me. Well, I think the reason it means so much to me is I'm reaching the age where, well, you know, you're looking at where where's all this going and what does all this mean? And so the cardinals. So I use that example and then they come back with their ordinary moment, maybe walking into the post office and somebody said something or an ordinary moment of, you know, just just the ordinary life moments. And then you explore why did that stand out for you? Because what ultimately stories do is teach you self-awareness, greater empathy for other people, uh, and, and how everything you do matters. So making good choices is a really critical thing in writing as well. And then, you know, it's writing that brings humor to the table, humility, and even the hootspot of knowing that, you know, you're, you have a story to tell and how important that is.
0: Well, Sylvia Lovely, uh, we're delighted that you are a member of our Speakers Bureau now uh, officially and that you can represent Kentucky Humanities all over the state. Uh, we want people to contact uh, contact you, contact our office uh, uh, in various uh, ways, uh, email, phone call, and and ask uh, if you can visit their organization. You have such a, a beautiful life story to tell, and uh, we're just uh, happy to include you in an in our stable of terrific scholars, historians, storytellers, uh, and you can help us tell Kentucky's story.
1: Thank you so much for all you do.
0: Thank you, Sylvia.
1: Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 48 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.